really rough couple of months trying to navigate through this depression that I've been dealing with as a result of having to choose myself over the person who gave me life. This episode is brought to you by The Parlor Hair and Body Salon. With a quick reminder, it's okay to take time for yourself. Hi, I'm Chelsea B. And for those of you who don't know me, let me introduce myself. I'm not a life coach, a therapist, or a certified anything really, except like CPR and first aid. (laughs) Heck, I don't even have a college degree. I am, however, a regular old human with a huge heart and problems just like you. If you're looking for a podcast to solve all of life's mysteries and show you how to become super successful, you're in the wrong place. This is Beyond the Picket Fence, a podcast that tells the behind the scenes of people's lives to remind you that no one is perfect. This is officially your invitation to take a break from trying to keep it all together. Let's get real. This week on the podcast, we have Tree the LPC. I was scrolling through podcast groups on Facebook and I came across her podcast, which was called Self-Aware and Effed Up. She was so kind to have me on her show and we had so much fun that she decided to come on my show. So what's going on behind the scenes in the life of a therapist? Let's find out. Hey guys, my name is Tree. Uh, I go by the moniker Tree the LPC. Um, I'll actually get my real name, Santrice Russell, because if we're going to be having real conversations, I just want to be as authentic as possible. I am a licensed professional counselor, but not even to jump into that aspect of it. I'm someone who is from a small town in LaGrange, Georgia, and I grew up a little bit hard, a little bit rough um, around the edges, um, had a lot of trauma in my early childhood that really ended up actually leading me into my destiny as far as wanting to be a counselor to help other people. And so, you know, I always start by saying that I am a counselor, but I, like most people in this field, started going down this path because I really had a lot of healing that I wanted to learn how to do for myself. And, um, that's, you know, at the, at the core of it, I'm a very imperfect person that has dedicated their lives to trying to help other people figure their, their stuff out. Centrice was born in the 80s, which was, as she explains, the height of the crack epidemic going on in a lot of the Black communities. She was born to very young parents and ended up being raised by her paternal great-grandmother and paternal aunt. My mom was in prison for the first couple of years of my life, and I ended up pretty much choosing to stay with my grandmother after my mom got out of prison. I think she got out of prison around 92, 93, so I was about 8, 9, 10, somewhere in that area. I don't A lot of my memories around that are very foggy. Um my dad, he was in my life. He was there for most of my childhood. Um, however, he had a lot of other relationships going on in his life. And so I have a younger brother who was a year and a half younger than me. And then I saw my dad get married and I saw him raise other people's kids, you know? So it's kind of like a situation where I always felt like I was alone. I felt like I wasn't really wanted. Um, the environment that I grew in, it was very poor. My great grandmother, she was in her sixties by the time she started raising me. So definitely low income, um, um, on it, pretty much getting social security. My aunt was disabled. She was shot when she was about 17 years old. And um, she's uh, actually paraplegic, but she has a lot of functioning in terms of like certain things that she could do on one side of her body. And so 
she raised me and um, it was rough. I say it was rough because I lived in a, a pretty um, low income neighborhood. We didn't have a car um, growing up. Uh, my grandmother and my aunt, they did the best that they could to kind of help mold me into a good, decent human being, I think at this point in my life. But the, it was just a struggle kind of seeing other kids that had different things in their lives that I didn't have. And so it kind of instilled in me the work ethic that I still have to this day. As even at a very young age, I always wanted to be like, I got to find a way to get out of this. I got to find a way to be able to truly, you know, leave the neighborhood that I grew up in and really aspire to be something different. Cause most of the people that I grew up with, you know, they sold drugs. A lot of the people that I grew up with at this point, a lot of them are in prison, you know, to this very day, I've seen a lot of my friends, you know, lose their lives just a lot. Like, it's, I don't know if I'm going too far into this, but it's just a lot of trauma um, around me. As far as childhoods, Centrice and I are pretty much opposite. I'll be the first to admit that I am very sheltered in that way. Centrice was kind enough to let me ask all of the ignorant questions that I had. While I understand what it's like to be poor, I truly don't have childhood trauma. I don't personally know anyone who has ever been shot. I don't have friends that are drug dealers or dead due to drugs. So I hope as I ask these ignorant questions, you can see my heart. I truly am coming from a place of love and trying to learn and understand. So I'm curious, is, would you say, is that like what people consider the hood? Is like those types of low-income neighborhoods? Yeah, sometimes. I mean, it depends on, on how you look at it. Like, I think we've taken hood as a community and kind of flipped it to mean something, you know, more like, okay, yeah, that's my hood. I rep, I rep that. Okay. But when I say hood, I mean, low income, run down, not a lot of money funded into um, really programs in that um, particular community. Most of the property in the neighborhood are owned by, you know, typically cisgender white males that are renting to poor black people at a significantly higher rate, not taking care of the homes that you live in gas bill, light bill through the roof, because, you know, a lot of those situations were, you know, created for, for Black people to kind of still be stuck in that situation. You can't really get ahead because you don't own anything. And so when I say hood, it's like, it's a space that you don't really own, but you live in and you rep it as if you have property in that particular um, area. Yeah. So when you see the movies of like young Black kids in these communities where there's like drive-by shootings and stuff like that, like, is that realistic? It's realistic more so now than it was in my time of growing up. The area that I uh, grew up in is called Cavemet, Calumet. Um, it's in uh, Lagrange, Georgia, and so in that area, when I was growing up, you have we fought, we we did crazy stuff or whatever. We would do go knock on people's doors, run. We would steal. We would do a lot of stuff. But today's society, like going back there now, yes, it is coming to have other people, you know, not necessarily drive bys, but things like that have occurred where people have. Kids, teenagers have been killed because they're involving themselves in like gang activity and things of that nature. So it's it's a lot worse now than what it was when I was growing up, um, unfortunately. It really sounds like it could go two ways. Either you get into the gang lifestyle and go down that dangerous path, or you are instilled with the incredible work ethic, like Centrice explained happened for her. I was curious if she had a specific memory or time when she created that mindset. I mean, I think for me, um, it was just like seeing certain things. Like when I think back, I went to school um, 
take take you far back a little bit further to kind of see why I, I was there in that moment of wanting to get out. It was just the things that I saw. I started out school going to a local school that was predominantly black. Now we talking like 1989, 1991 in that era where this school was finally closed. And I started going to school with people who were more from more affluent neighborhoods. And um, I remember thing was second grade going to one of my friend's birthday and she um she was actually another little black girl that was in my class but she came from a different side of town she had a different type of upbringing and I remember going to her birthday party and seeing like people bring her gifts and people like do all of this stuff her family could afford to rent out this nice place and do something and I'm like why can't we do this? Why can't I have stuff like that or whatever, you know? And I, it's so simple. Now I'm thinking about it. I don't know if you you guys have the, those little trapper keeper kind of things or little, uh, like, I don't know. It's like a whole thing that you would put all your crayons in. It was like simple stuff like that that yeah. I didn't have that I was like, dang, I really want to be able to like not have to worry about like little things like that. They really, at this point, doesn't really matter but back then it was like that was a big deal like why can't I have those sort of things why am I in a situation where you know if I want something I can't really have it because my grandmother can't afford that I can't really afford to you know I really don't want to put that much stuff or pressure on people to do things for me because she couldn't work my aunt couldn't work so it's like just seeing people that had things that I didn't really push me to want to be like okay as soon as I'm old enough to get a job I'm getting a job I'm going to buy things for myself so that I can have nice things and I can not feel like you know like I'm not good enough I guess. I have very similar memories without taking you too far down another rabbit hole when I was in third grade my family moved and due to some unfortunate situations with selling a house we had to file for bankruptcy. I remember always feeling poor, and my best friend always had beautiful shoes and clothes and cupboards full of food. It's so interesting how powerful a mindset can be. Centrice did something about it. She realized she could work hard and afford her own stuff. I just figured out how to make do with nothing. My thought was, I can make this lack of things fun somehow. Slash, I mastered the skill of mooching off of people. It's a running joke in my family that I never have my wallet. When I was in high school, my friends would invite me out to lunch or the movies or something fun like that. And I always said, no, I can't come because I don't have the money. And I wasn't about to ask my parents because I knew that they didn't have it as they were teachers who had filed bankruptcy. So yeah, I must have been really fun because every time they'd say, no worries, I'll pay for you. And they did. And I always told them I'd pay them back when I'm famous. So if you're out there listening and I owe you money, I love you and I still don't have it. (laughs) But it's just crazy to me how that work ethic is still something I am working on while Centrice created that mindset from her situation. That shows that the brain is so powerful. Some people see it as one way and then I just was like, I can't. I can't do anything about it unless I do something different. So that that was just my approach. Like I so often do, I went straight for the traumatic situation. I asked more about Centrice's mom. Me and my mom have very uh, traumatic uh, history. So um, essentially, uh, I didn't know why she went to jail until like years after she got out of jail. Technology came and I found out, oh, you can look up people's criminal record on like the Georgia Department of Correction site. So I find out that what she went to jail for was actually bad checks and forgery and stuff like that, which not that it makes it any better, but it wasn't 
for actual drugs or anything like that, but she spent a significant time. Like I have pictures of when I was a kid of me on a Sunday morning in my dress, my grandmother getting ready to take us to church and I'm on the phone with her, like pictures of me talking on the phone with her from prison. But um, to the best of my knowledge, that's why she actually went to prison. The drugs and her addiction didn't become really apparent to me actually until after she actually got off of drugs, which was in like 1999. So from the time she got out of prison, saw her in an abusive relationship um, with a guy she married right after she got out of prison. And with that particular situation, it was just a lot of things that I saw, but I never had a clue that drugs were involved until she actually got off. Mm. And but she didn't live with you and your grandma? No, it's so it's my I live with my uh great grandmother on my dad's side. And okay. so when my yeah. mom got out of prison, I think she lived with um one of my cousins for a while while she was trying to get back on her feet. Um my sister who is um a year older than me, she actually ended up going to live with my mom, but I never went to live with my mom. I chose to stay with my great grandmother and my aunt for the rest of my, you know, high school career before I went off to college. Wow. And how does that affect your life going forward? How does which part? <laughs> I mean, I mean, just like, like, how does a child feel when you see your parents like off living lives and they're not taking care of you? Um, it sucked. Like it sucked. I had a lot of anger and sadness. Like I, my cousin, um, and I, I laugh and joke about it. Uh, we joked about it for years. I used to sing this song, Nobody Loves Me, Everybody Hates Me. Like I felt that as a kid. And as a kid, I'm singing it, walking around the house, nobody loves me. I can and then my family, like they mimic it back for years. Like even when I was like in college, they're like, you know, I used to sing this song. And I'm like, I started to think about it as I got older. I was like, that was not healthy at all. Like, why was I, why didn't no one have me in therapy if I'm walking around saying that this is how I feel? And I don't think I really, really, really learned to really understand what I was experiencing. Like, I knew I was angry. I knew I was hurt because I saw my dad living this life and going out doing things. I saw my mom take care of my sister and kind of treat me like, oh, well, you didn't decide to come live with me. So I'm going to do nice things for her. And I'm not going to do these things for you because you live with your grandmother. So it's your grandmother's you know, job to do that or whatever. And so it's like it sucked. I had a lot of pain um, and it wasn't until like honestly going to therapy, doing a lot of inner child work that I really started to realize like, yeah, you were angry. You acted out of anger a lot. You fought, you do did all of those things, but really you were hurt. You like you felt abandoned and you acted out like I did a lot of acting out. Um, I was horrible as a child, like to the people that raised me, my great grandmother, I made amends with her before she passed away. But I was horrible because I was so hurt. I was so damaged um, by not having them there. And it really, really impacted how I treated people in my life. So I had to do a lot of work to come out of that. <laughs> Hurting people hurt people. Are you willing yeah. to share with us like examples of that, of when you're saying you're a bad kid? Um, I was always in trouble, like fighting, um, fighting my caregivers, like like fight, my, like fist fighting, like fist fighting. Yeah, like I was literally, like you know, I, I, I in the south we get uh whippings or spankings with switches or whatever. Like my cousin will tell you all the time about how her having to chase me down to get my aunt because I said my aunt, you know, she was disabled and so she was trying to spank me. But you know, I would I would fight her. I wouldn't necessarily fight my grandmother, but I'll never forget get this one time it's probably the the most 
craziest thing I've ever done in my life. And it took a while for me to be able to forgive myself for that. But I remember um, fighting my younger brother. My younger brother, Rashad, and I were really close now. But back then, I was very jealous of him because my grandmother, I felt like she she favored him. And um, he was getting on my nerves about something. I don't even know what it was. And I ended up getting a rock from outside. And I threw the rock at my brother. But it ended up hitting my grandmother. And I literally thought that I had killed my grandmother. I think that that was like the single most thing like that I freaking hate about my childhood because I was like, mm. you just, you're out of control. You just don't care if you hurt other people. You don't care what you do to them. You know, like I would fight kids in the neighborhood. Um, just very, just, just bad, evil. Like I know that it's just was a lot of things that I did because I was hurt. And so- took a lot of owning my own shit as I got a little bit older um, because, you know, you can't make those type of excuses when you're an adult. When Santrice was in seventh grade, she took a good long look at her life and knew it was time to make some changes. She was attending a career connections class and was able to look through big occupational handbooks with different careers and what each one was about. And so um, I had a lot of run-ins with like police being called on me as a kid because of things that I would do. And um, DFACS, Department of Family and Children's Services, like being threatened to be called on me or being taken to group homes and things of that nature. And then I started to really realize like, yeah, I got a problem, but I want to be able to help other people that have been through what I've been through. So I started researching like the whole therapists, child psychologists at the time, like looking at those type of careers, like, okay, what do I want to do in my life? How do I want to get out of this place that I'm at? And so I'll never forget like really researching that. And I think that that was a shift for me about seventh grade. It was like, okay, you had to get your act together if you're going to be able to get good enough grades to go to a college in order for you to be, you know, someone that can help people like you who have gone through situations like that. So like I was pretty much on the straight and narrow. I was still bad at home at times, but like in school, you know, straight A student, um, all through high school, all through college. Like I literally, you know, went through my high school career, started working. And when I was 16 at, um, initially at the Boys and Girls Club and later moved to working at Golden Corral. And I worked there throughout the entire high school career. And I applied for college, got into college, actually went to school um, on the Hope Scholarship. Uh, that's a program here in Georgia that was funded by the Georgia Lottery. Went through that program, got a degree in psychology. And right out of college, I ended up working at this uh, level five psychiatric facility for teenagers um, called Kids Peace out in Bowdoin, Georgia. And that's how my career started. I started working with kids um, and just kind of moved my way up into working with adults as I got a little bit older. And I did ended up deciding to go back to get my master's. And I did that process, went through the licensure process. And since then, it's just kind of been more and more growth towards kind of being able to create platforms to help other people. That's really cool. So at what point did you have to start going into therapy yourself and work through all of those hard things? Or did you kind of do the tools as you learned them? Um, I thought I was doing the tools as I learned them, but as <laughs> I've learned, um, you know, we can't really do therapy on ourselves. So for me, you know, I ended up actually seriously going to therapy because my internship um, my supervisor, my internship recommended it because I did had a lot of anxiety going through grad school or whatever. But I actually didn't start therapy seriously until 2016 after I went through a really, really tough breakup. 
and I went to see somewhere. Then I went for a couple of sessions and then I started feeling better and I didn't go back. And then 2018, when I started working at my current full-time job, working with like trauma and suicide prevention and doing that on a day-to-day basis, that's when I made a real commitment to like, okay, I have to do a better job of taking care of my mental health if I'm going to be able to truly help other people. And so ended up diving in there. And since 2018, it's kind of been like a, a weekly part of my life. I love this. Doctors need doctors. Dentists need dentists. Life coaches need life coaches. Surgeons need surgeons. And you know where I'm going with this. Yes, even therapists need their own therapists. Well, now I'm curious because like now we have like, you know, the picket fence, which of being like tree is the LPC, right? Like Mm -hmm. that's kind of not that it's a white picket fence, but that's kind of like what people see when they see you, they see the LPC. So that's how Tree, the LPC, came to be. Wow, I did not mean for that to rhyme, but that was fantastic. (laughs) So it was a tough road to get there, but I wanted to dig even further into Santrice's life, if she'd let me. Was it just me, or do you recall a brief mention of a bad breakup? We'll get into that with Santrice in a minute. But before that, I want to share this amazing Christian mental health podcast that I found with you. Hey, I'm Gabby Wilkinson, and I am the creator of... Dear God, I'm Sad. Dear God, I'm Sad is a brand that I created with a mission to craft a healthier and more holistic relationship between mental illness and Christianity. One of the ways that I'm doing this is by hosting a weekly podcast called the Dear God, I'm Sad podcast. So join me in this mission as I interview experts and contemporary scholars in the field of mental illness, faith, and the intersection of the two, share stories from people who have experiences with mental illness and faith, and provide my own thoughts as a chemically imbalanced Christian. All this with the hopes that these conversations and stories and thoughts diminish the stigma of mental illness in faith spaces and promote healthy responses to mental illness by faith leaders. You can find me and keep up with the brand at deargod underscore I'm sad on Instagram. And you can listen to the Dear God I'm Sad podcast everywhere you get podcasts. So join me for this ride as we foster in this new age of Christianity where we respond to mental illness with compassion and kindness and goodness and beauty. So I will see you next Monday. Back to Santrice. Fair warning, we will be discussing sexuality in this next portion of this episode, specifically same-sex attraction. If this makes you uncomfortable, of course you're welcome to not listen, but I strongly urge you to put your beliefs aside for a moment And do listen to this beautiful human. Not to change your opinion, but to see where she's coming from and allow her to be heard as she is. I am a Christian, and I attend the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. We have what we call the 13 Articles of Faith, which list out the things that we believe. The 13th article reads, We believe in being honest, true, chaste, benevolent, virtuous, and in doing good to all men. Indeed, we may say that we follow the admonition of Paul. We believe all things, we hope all things, we have endured many things, and hope to be able to endure all things. If there is anything virtuous, lovely, or of good report, or praiseworthy, we seek after these things. I want to highlight the part that says, we believe in doing good to all men. It doesn't say in doing good to only those who also believe and follow our own idea of honest, true, chaste, benevolent, and virtuous. It says all men. And by men, it means mankind, aka humans. All humans deserve to be treated good and deserve to be loved. 
When you recognize that someone being homosexual has nothing to do with you, you can pause the judgment and just listen, understand, and love them. In fact, Taylor Swift said it best, shade never made anybody less gay. I'm so passionate about telling stories true to the lens of the person whose story it is, so I will not be editing anything out for your comfort. This is Santrice's story, and that is enough. So my coming out story, that's the goodest place as any. So um didn't really realize where I was in terms of my sexuality until I was like 19 years old. And so I kind of figured this out as I was going through stuff with, with school and trying to get through um through college and everything. And so I've had a lot of tumultuous relationships. Um, but I think the core thing that has been problematic for me being a member of the LGBTQ community has been my relationship with my mom. And um, my mom, as I've already got to talk about her, she is very much um, a reformed drug, um, drug addict or whatever. She went through the whole NA process and all of that. And I actually went through a lot of that process with her during the early part of her years. So like most addicts, she ended up losing drugs and finding Christ. And so she's very much into her religion and um, she's actually a minister and all of that. But the problems have come up because her religion has been used to weaponize me, you know, to be a weapon against myself and my wife. And that has been really, really problematic because it's kind of like I was abandoned as a kid because you had your own stuff. And now as an adult, we don't really have a real genuine relationship, not because of anything that's from the past, but because of the fact that she doesn't agree with who I am. I'm a part of who I am and it's caused this big rift. And so I haven't talked to my mom in a very long time. And I've actually been dealing with a lot of that in therapy because it's like, I'm not allowed to be me and have a relationship. I have to be this version or, you know, are treated with a certain level of microaggression when it comes to my marriage or, or my life. And it's been a lot of pain to kind of work through that. So being just being a lesbian, just out there in the world, that's not a problem. Like, yeah, I, I had a lot of struggles with that going through like first coming into my career and worrying about what other people would say or what they would think. But my biggest issue has been family. It's really been seriously just my mom for the most part. Like not everyone in my family is really like head over heels over, you know, my sexuality. But my mom has been the biggest point of contention for me. And I think it's been the most painful um, part of my journey. Like I've actually been in a really dark place since about August when I decided to permanently cut her off from my life and I had to block her um and that was a real painful decision for me because all the things we go through I feel like my mom I feel like she thinks that I am upset with her because of things that she did 20 years ago 30 years ago hell 40 years ago <laughs> you know she thinks that I'm upset with her about those but I think that the core is just like, just be a kind human. Just love your child like you say you love Christ, like Christ loved this church. You know, don't use your religion to tear me down or make me feel like I'm not worthy. I'm not, I'm not good enough of a person because of my sexuality. And so it's been a really rough couple of months trying to navigate through this depression that I've been dealing with as a result of having to choose myself 
over the person who gave me life. The pain in Centrice's voice and face really got me. I think we so often underestimate the pain and grief one goes through when having to choose, like Century said, between yourself and the one who gave you life. Ugh. I think those of us who don't understand homosexuality often see it as a willy-nilly decision. And I hope this episode really opens your eyes to the reality of the pain that comes from the other side of the story as well. When Centrice was young, she went to church religiously with her great-grandmother. We were in church like... <laughs> Literally, Sunday for church, Tuesday for Bible study, Wednesday for choir practice, Saturday for youth choir practice. Like, I was in church, like, every single day of the week. Um, And I, I don't think at that particular time growing up, I didn't, I didn't really have a true relationship. My actual true um, journey into my spiritual life actually occurred when I was in college. So I told you earlier, I came out when I was 19. I went back in the closet when I was like 21. My grandmother was very super, super religious. And she was like really, really against me being with another woman. And so um, it just kind of like, I felt like I really couldn't be who I wanted to be. I couldn't have that and have my grandmother, you know, feel like I could have my grandmother truly love me or even understand. And so I felt like I was breaking my grandmother's heart. And so a lot of that was that and any other piece of um, of trying to move through it. I went through a really shitty breakup. That was a part of it as well. But I ended up starting going to this church um, in Carrollton, Georgia, Victoria's Believers World Ministries, and ended up really being into the ministry there. I feel like that's where I truly began to develop a relationship, like a real relationship with God and um, fire baptized, all of that, just very much into that part of my life. And so it became really, you know, like second nature. I was back in church, back in the choir, back doing all those things. I led the drama ministry. There's a lot of things, but I wasn't happy. I didn't feel like I was truly living my life. There were times I would be driving literally, you know, from church, from Bible study, you know, and I would think about driving my car off the side of the road. Like I was miserable because I felt like I was trying to live this straight life, trying to be someone who I really wasn't, you know? And I feel like I'm doing this to make my grandmother happy. I'm doing this to, to fit in, to be normal. And I'm miserable. I've, I'm not happy living because I'm not able to live in my truth. And so I went through that whole process of like, okay, well, do I choose my own happiness? and just kind of live this miserable life do I take my life and I don't have to go back and forth and do this or do I just get to a place where I'm just okay being me you know so there was a lot of that going on that doesn't sound like a willy-nilly decision to me that sounds like a woman who really agonized over the right decision to make for herself okay back to the story at that time Centrice was working on a Christian play she wrote it's called so-called Christian. This is like literally like 2006, 2007. So like for real, forever and a day ago. So I was in the process of doing that. And then I ended up meeting someone. And this person that I ended up meeting, um, someone I went to high school with, and they ended up actually reaching out to me on MySpace. And I didn't know that they were trying to like pursue anything with me. And they actually were. And so we ended up meeting up, ended up getting into a relationship and you know, it was good at first and then it went really, really terribly wrong. It went from me like struggling with my religion and my um, sexuality to me being in this relationship and to that relationship turning into an emotionally 
abusive relationship where I truly kind of lost all of me in that. Like I became just this person that lived to please her and her family. And I was really, um, basically she isolated me from my family. And I, a lot of the things that she said, gaslighting and all of that was like, you know, your family don't even want you anyway. You know, it's like those sort of digs that occurred that really made me feel like, okay, well, I, I got to stick with you now because you're the only person that want me. You're the only person that gives me any attention, all of those sort of things. And of course, this is right after I lost my grandmother, like six months after my grandmother mm-hmm. passed that this relationship started. Okay, well, my grandmother passed and I was like, okay, well, I'm not going to try to keep living my life for other people. I want to just be happy. And unfortunately, that ended me into a very abusive um, emotionally relationship. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a lot of that. And I think towards the end of that relationship, that was a three-year relationship towards the end of that, me finally getting the strength kind of courage to leave that situation. I ended up going back to a church, um, in Lynette, Alabama, and was really involved heavily in that particular church. And I finally just kind of got to the place where I was like, you know what, I'm cool with being me. Like I, I can't, you know, go back and forth with other people about their understanding of God and what that looks like for them. But one one thing I know for certain is, you know, I am a good person. I'm not going to allow other people to judge me by my sexuality. And I follow the Ten Commandments because when you break it down, it's the five, first five deal with your relationship with God. The other five deal with your relationship with people. Now, which order they're in, I don't know. But love God, love God's people. I do those two things. And so I don't, I don't physically go to church, but I do have a very firm relationship with my understanding of God and it's changed how I kind of move through life or whatever. So it's like, I treat people well. I have a relationship where I communicate with God. I just don't do it in a community environment. Love God and love people. I couldn't sum it up better myself. How can one of us say to someone else what God is telling them is wrong? We get to create our own relationship with God and decide with Him what is right for us. As long as no one is being harmed, we need to give others that same opportunity to cultivate their own relationship with God and figure it out themselves. If you want the courtesy to believe your beliefs without hate, why would you take that right away from someone else? Who are others to tell you what you believe is wrong and vice versa? As Christians, don't we believe that God is the only judge? And rightfully so, because he is the only one who has the entire view of one's heart and life. The other day, I was talking to a man and told him I was worried about a choice that I had made, and I was really stressed about my salvation. He said, look forward. Do you know where God's watching from? He stood behind me, and he got right on my eye level, which was actually pretty low for him because he was like 6'8 or something like that. Anyway, when I turned around... He was right on my shoulder, looking out at my perspective. We often think God is looking down, judging us, while in reality, he's not watching from a third-party view. He's right behind you, watching it from your point of view. I'm so grateful for that lesson that day, and it really helped me drop some of the shame that sometimes comes with organized religion. Aren't you so grateful that the one person judging you is going to know the entire story? I sure am. Santrice mentioned her wife. If you've been here a while, then you know. Being on this podcast, you don't get to say you're married 
or in a relationship without telling the story of how you met. So I need to hear your love oh story. My <laughs> uh, so my wife is going to kill me. So <laughs> I'm going to give you the full version and not the my version of it. Because my version of it is we met on plentyoffish.com. Um, but her version of it is... Back in 2015, I was dating someone else who was a part of my wife's friend group. They weren't friends, but they were part of the same friend group. So I just want to throw that out there. Um, but we ended up going to this concert called One Music Fest back in 2015. Um, I went with a friend and a girl that I was dating um, ended up going with this friend group that my wife was a part of. So we get to the concert, all everything's good. Lauren Hill was performing, it was awesome. And so at the end of the concert, the girl that I was dating ended up staying back with a friend, essentially. Like she was trying to make sure I was good and making sure my friend was good. And um one of the girls that was connected to my wife's friend group ended up staying behind with us. And I drove her. And um, my my girl at the time, I drove them to their apartment because it was like lift, all of the stuff was going on. So we get to the apartment. There's this whole big fight because her partner did not want her driving and riding with me or whatever. So my wife thought that we were trying to start some some stuff, basically. And so she was like, y'all need to leave. And I was like, I ain't going nowhere until I get my keys. I don't know like who this girl thinks she's talking to, but she got me messed up. We about to we about to come to blows or whatever. And so that was kind of the first time we met. Second time we met, um, Halloween of that same year, 2015. I came dressed, uh, you know, with me and the girl that I was still dating at the time came dressed, um, some Walking Dead characters, and she was there, um, dressed as a cat. So we hung out. I did not know that it was the same girl from One Music Fest. I had no freaking clue. Even two years later, had no clue. So 2017 just came out of really crazy depressive um, episode. At that time, I started the new um, the new year fresh, January. Um, just minding my own business. I used to work third shift. Woke up one morning, had POF on my um, application. She sent me a message. I sent her a message. Send me a message. We exchanged numbers. We talked. We went on a date the following Saturday. We were everything was cool. Went ice skating. Great day. Went to sit in this restaurant. My wife had a game of cards that she wanted us to go through, like conversation cards of getting to know each other. Went through the whole getting to know you piece. She asked specifically, like, who do you trust the most? And so we both were taking turns answering the questions. She said the mutual friend's name, and it clicked. It was like. That that person, that person, oh, oh my God, have we met before? Like went through that whole process or whatever. And it was like, okay, oh yeah. So you know this person. And then of course we went into the whole thing or whatever. And it was like, okay, aha, like, yeah, we met before. It wasn't until our second date that I was like going through my phone and went back to 2015. Cause we actually had taken a picture on Halloween of 2015 together. Because again, I didn't know her. She said, she, she'll she tell the version of the story. It was like, yeah, I was like, yeah, I'm gonna take this picture with her. I don't even like this girl. Like, I'm like, I had no clue that that was even her. And so I sent her this picture. I was like, this is you, right? And she was like, yeah. And since then, we've been inseparable. <laughs> but it's so crazy. Because I'm like, my short answer is plenty of fish. But all of that backstory is <laughs> a part of our story. Um so I'm she so knew awesome. she didn't like you from that first time that you guys were like fighting. And then at Halloween, she still remembered she didn't like you. And then did she realize it was you on Plenty of Fish? 
No, she did not realize. Neither of us realized uh, that until we were at the date. We probably would have never realized that had she not played that game, you know, like and asked and mentioned this particular person. And I was like, oh, like would have never, ever known. Santrice mentioned a few depressive mental states here and there throughout the entire story. And she did mention that she has clinical depression. And as a person with clinical depression myself, I like to check in on my fellow depressed peeps. Earlier you were talking about, you know, before when you felt like you could really live your true self and you <laughs> felt like just randomly driving your car off the road or something like that. Yeah. Are you happy? I mean, obviously you have sad things in your life of like mm -hmm. with your mom and everything. Yeah. But do you feel like driving your car off the road still? Um, Sometimes, <laughs> but not like that drastic. <laughs> I have moments um, like intrusive thoughts or like you know, really want to do not, it like not yeah I mean yeah I, I would say like just fleeting thoughts or whatever is what we call it so yeah like stuff goes bad like or things get really really tough I, I have those thoughts absolutely you know would I act on them no I wouldn't I'd have too many resources and too many people in place but I don't think that I I don't know if I'll ever escape having those thoughts from time to time but am I happy um I feel like I was I don't feel happy right now um and I think a big piece of why I don't feel happy is because of the situation with my mom like that really has messed with me um before then had you asked me for August like I probably would say yeah like yeah girl I'm good or whatever but like I think that this episode it looks very different from previous episodes because you know it's it's not something that I can control I can't control other people or whatever but it's definitely I can't be like oh yeah I'm just happy that you know I had to choose to cut my mom out of my life and that my mom doesn't you know care to be a decent human being you know mm -hmm. like because the whole reason that I even cut her off was my wife wanted a relationship with her and you know she was gave all every excuse as to why she would not build any type of bond with with my wife but she done and built bonds with previous people that I had been in relationship with you mm -hmm. know and it it just kind of it I, that's where I kind of I guess drew the line because she would call me if she needed something and she was texting me about watching the dog for her while she went on vacation and I was just like but I asked you something simple like hey text my wife and just say hey how you doing and that's just too much for you so it's kind of like just yeah I think if that relationship were a little bit better mm -hmm. or if I chose to just completely release it I think I might be in a happier space but I think it's okay sometimes I think it's okay to be sad like because of the love you have just as your mom yeah. Of course you're going to be sad. Sadness <laughs> and grief and loss and all of that can only come if there was love in your heart there first, you know? Yeah. So I think it's okay. I think you're, I think you're okay. <laughs> you're okay I mean, not to be okay. <laughs> not that you yeah, need I'm permission. Okay. No, I mean, I'm okay with not being okay. I just, you know, like, I think that that's just a void and it's something I'm, like I said, I'm still working through it. My therapist yeah. gave me an assignment this week around it and I was just like, Alex, I'm tired. I'm tired of talking about this, but you know, it, it is something that I'm still working through. And I if, think once I get through it, 
I might be able to say, yeah, I'm happy because a lot of great things are going on in my life. Yeah. It's just that that is definitely putting a damper on things because I don't like conflict. I don't like to, you know, like I think as long as I have her blocked, I'm going to still feel like there's beef, even though I think parts of me are just like, OK, I'm sad when I feel sad, but I'm not mad anymore, I guess. Mm. So if you could unfiltered, what do you wish you could just say to your mom? Just, you know, get over yourself. Like, you know, probably would have put an F word there, but get over yourself and just be a decent human being. Like, that's it. Just just get over yourself. No one's judging you because of what you did 30 years ago. We're judging you because you're not being a great representative of what a Christian is today. So just be a good person love god love people treat people kind my grandmother said it like this you know do unto others as you would have them do unto you treat people how you would like to be treated so that's what i would say uh, and that is about as unfiltered minus cuss words it's, 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 <laughs> that's really all i want you to do is just be be kind that's it you're not even asking for anything hard yeah, I don't need money. I don't need, like, I don't need anything. I'm good. I just want you to be nice. I just feel frustrated with you. Like, why can't people just love their children? Okay. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you answer that, then you you would save a lot of people. Solve the world. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Well, I think you're going to have to, you, you know more than me because you're, like, actually licensed and have skills. I'm just going off of my heart. But, like... I think you're gonna have to work through the anger and then almost like grieve like a loss, you know? Like yeah. a loss of a relationship, whether they're alive or dead, it's still a loss. And and grief isn't something I've done a lot of episodes on grief where people have lost people, right? And you don't yeah. just get over grief. It lives inside of you and you learn to live with it. Right. And that's been the struggle. Like I said, I'm not really angry anymore. We're talking about it. So yeah, some folks, some feelings may come up of anger about mm -hmm. different situations, but it really is the grief. Like, I don't think I would be stuck even in that place of depression around it if it weren't the sadness. Like, because I can't stay angry long, like I, yeah. maybe 24 hours tops and then or whatever, because, but it was the sadness. That's, that's what has me stuck. It is the grief. It's not the anger. Yeah. So that just takes time, lots yeah. of time <laughs> exactly, so. and may never fully go away, which is so hard. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's tough. And I think it can sometimes trigger you back into that, you know, nobody loves me, everybody hates me thing is like, you've told yourself these things for so long and then you convinced yourself like, okay, those were just thoughts. It doesn't like people love me, of course. And then you have your mom's physical representation of no, actually you don't love me. <laughs> exactly and that's where we are <laughs> and that's so painful it is and it's i'm just like, gonna say it again to drive it in deeper <laughs> i'm just kidding yeah. <laughs> but no it, it is you know because i i did struggle with that for a long time like just not feeling like i was enough like not feeling like i was good enough for friendships relationships any of those things or whatever you know I was like i don't have friends I, and that's that's a lie like i do i have really really great friends i have a really really great support system for my birthday um back in december i had a whole crazy amount of people show up to really just love on me you know and just really show me that yeah you you mean a lot to a lot of people so 
I could choose to focus on this one person that, you know, has shown me that they don't want to necessarily be in my life, not necessarily on my terms or whatever. And that's good. You you don't have to be. But I, I have a whole lot of people who are willing to just love and accept me as I am. And I am forever grateful for that tribe. You know, I think that the family we create is so important because those are the people that choose to connect themselves to you. And I'm, I'm grateful for those that have chosen Tree. Yes. After hearing this beautiful behind the scenes story, I choose Tree. And I really hope you do too. I have one more question and then the other, and then the last question. So okay. as a therapist, do people often expect you to have all the answers? And do you ever feel like you're not allowed to fall apart because you're supposed to have all the answers or not really? I don't, I think people probably think that we should, um, but I'm human. We're, we're all human. Um, I always used to tell the story back when I was working in the hospital of like going through it, like literally going through it. I worked overnights and I would literally go do an assessment on someone, like asking them, are they okay? Checking in on whether or not they're suicidal, homicidal, seeing, hearing things, doing a full assessment on them, writing them up, talking to the doctor, and then going to the bathroom and crying. <laughs> and, to, and then having another patient pop up on the board, having to wash my face and go do it all over again. So yeah, like, do people think we fall apart? Maybe, maybe they don't. But, you know, we do. I've seen that happen, not even just with my profession, with nurses and, and doctors. Like sometimes we're, we're still human. We have those moments, even in the middle of a work day where it's like, you know, there have been times I've been going through, you know, marriage stuff and having to come in and sit and counsel another couple, you know, right after having, you know, heated fellowship with my wife. So <laughs> it's like, we're human. Our lives are very much as, as chaotic as yours can be. So I don't feel like I have to keep it together for anyone. Yeah. During that 50 minutes that I'm with a client, yeah, I'm going to keep it together. But after that, no, all bets are off. I love it. I love that. Okay. So after everything that you have so graciously shared with me, thank you for being so open. What do you wish people saw beyond your white picket fence? I think I just wish that people understood that I may appear to be very strong on the outside, but on the inside, a lot of times I am truly dealing with my own demons and I, I may not always look approachable. I may not always engage or have the time to connect, but at the core I'm really just an adult human being that loves people and loves helping people, but I don't always appear that way because I have a lot of stuff that I'm dealing with personally, but I just want people to understand that I don't think super highly of myself. I, I think that I'm dope, but I don't think like, oh yeah, you're better than me because you this or you that, or you have this degree or, you know, that makes you this or that. Because I, like I said, at the beginning, I come from very small beginnings and I truly, truly love my people. And, you know, I really just want people to understand that and understand that I love y'all. Like <laughs> I, I just really, really love people. And I, I want to be able to help people and I want to be able to change the face of mental health outside of just me being a therapist just at the core 
I want to make it so that mental health is okay, um, specifically for people of color, because we are a, a part of a group that it does not historically has not sought counseling. A lot of um, Black people who have gone to church and a lot of churches have said, hey, you know, you need to just pray about it. And a lot of Black people have taken that and internalized that to say, yeah, I don't need help. But there's just a lot of trauma. Like even if you take the recent situation with Tyree Nichols and you think about those type of traumas that we consume, like we we need to really truly be able to be open to that you know i think a lot more cultures have opened up to therapy especially in the midst of the pandemic but i really want to be able to open that market up a lot more for individuals of color who see and feed into the stigma of black people don't go to therapy because we do and we need to i know what it does for me and what it's done for my life and i just want to be able to spread that that gift to the world Thank you so much for listening. I'll miss you till next time. But if you need more, no worries. You can go back and listen to the entire first season if you missed it. And or connect with me on Instagram at Beyond with Chelsea, where you never know what's going to happen next. <laughs> Link in the show notes. And remember, lead with kindness because you never know what's going on for someone beyond their picket fence. <laughs>